Hi, this is Robert Ferro, and welcome to Truth Quest Podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God says so we can know what to believe, rightly dividing the Word of God. Being like the Bereans, who received the Word of God with all joy, but sought the Scriptures whether or not to find out these things are true. If you have a question, write the word question down. Write it in uh, a couple of times. Make sure that you check it. Make sure that it makes sense. If you have references, put the references in there. We can take time uh, to go ahead and look those up. We have a first question that is preloaded. Um, we've had this question a couple of times. I thought I'd spend a little bit more time on it. And the question was left in the comment section. I'm trying to forgive, but it's hard to forget any suggestions. Uh, this seems to be a recurring question. I'm sure it's not the last time that we're going to receive it. Jesus said that we were to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. There's a passage where Jesus says, if someone offends you and asks for repentance seven times, forgive them seven times. There's also another passage that says, if you don't forgive, you will not be forgiven. And another one said that says, if you're giving your gift at the altar and you remember that you haven't forgiven someone, forgive them before you give it. So there's a couple of different types of forgiveness or a couple of different levels of forgiveness. And maybe this is important for us to remember. There is what we might call complete forgiveness and complete restoration. You have forgiven them, it is forgotten, you are restored, you're moving along with your relationship, and that of course is wonderful, fantastic, it's absolutely amazing. However, it doesn't always work that way because sometimes you can't tell the people that you've forgiven that you've forgiven them. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it's not wise. Sometimes there, doesn't, there hasn't been repentance. And you say, do I still need to forgive them? Yes, you still need to forgive them, but you don't need to restore the relationship. Don't confuse restoration in a relationship with forgiveness. Forgiveness is letting them go. Jesus told the story of a man who was forgiven a great debt, turned around and found a man that owed him a little bit of money, grabbed him by the neck, said, pay me every penny. When he would not, threw him into debtor's prison. When the man that had forgiven him the great debt found out about it, he had him arrested and thrown into prison until he paid off every last penny. This is a picture of us. We've been forgiven this great debt. When someone asks us for forgiveness, we should be so ready to forgive. This is so incredibly true. But what about when someone's done something that is very real? It's a very awful offense, a very real offense. It's hard for you to forget what they've done to you. You have to let it go anyway. It doesn't mean you have to restore the relationship. It doesn't mean that you've got to invite them over for Thanksgiving dinner. It means that you have to let it go. The man who was forgiven the great debt, what did he have to do to forgive the man who had a little bit of debt? Let it go. When someone sins against us, we hold it against them. It's as if we say to them, you owe me something and I'm going to make you pay. And you're angry and you're bitter. And that's what unforgiveness does. It leads to bitter in your life, even when it's something really horrible that they've done. And there have been some great examples 
of great forgiveness when someone murdered someone's child and the parents came to the sentencing and told him, we've forgiven you for what you've done. That's amazing. But I want you to remember that as hard as what it might be to, as, as hard as it is to forgive people, when Jesus gives you a command, like forgive one another, he gives you the power to fulfill it. Jesus told the man with the withered hand early in his ministry, stretch out your hand. He could have very easily have said, I can't, it's withered. I'm tried. I've tried to stretch it out before. I can't do it. But when Jesus gave the command, stretch out your hand, he suddenly stretched it out and it was made whole. When he says, forgive, you say, I can't, I've tried, I can't do it. I've tried before, but Jesus says, do it. And with the command comes the power to let it go. It doesn't mean it won't come back up again. It may very well come back up again. And you have to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I want to let this person go. They don't owe me anything. I want to forgive them. I don't want to have bitterness in my life. And so I surrender and I give everything wholeheartedly for, to you. I don't think you have to forget. Uh, the, the question was, I'm trying to forgive, but it's so hard to forget. God can forget. I can't. I love when I do forget when someone's offended me, but it's usually not a great offense. Uh, it has taken me sometimes years to work through forgiveness, forgiving, remembering it again, forgiving, remembering it again, forgiving, remembering it again. Someone brings up their name. I tell them the story and then I realize I told them the story because I haven't forgiven them. I'm glad to say now, I really believe I have. I might be tested in that, but I really believe that I have. And I think that you will be as well. Not that you can forget because only God can forget, right? But we can't and it's going to come back again. And when it does, we just say, Lord, I'm sorry. I let this go. I forgave them. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you yourself won't be forgiven. You and I have been forgiven this absolute great debt. And because of that, we ought to come to the place where we forgive anyone who has trespassed against us. And we're supposed to pray it daily. Forgive us our sins as we trespass those who have, or as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. All right. So once again, I'll take a follow up on that. If you have any other questions about forgiveness, I would love to go ahead spend a little bit more time on more specific questions. Remember, when you ask questions, there can be a nuance to it that you don't find when you're just dealing with a topic. Like the nuance here is, but I had a hard time, I have a hard time forgetting. That's the nuance. And you're not gonna forget. You're gonna remember. For, you know, the idea of forgive and forget. Let it go. Just let it go. Be one with the wind and the, the rain. A little frozen song there. All right. Sorry about that. All right. So good to see you guys. I want to thank you guys for being here. I want to thank the moderators who are here as well today. They'll be able to help you out. Um, and uh, if you have a question, glad, glad to have you join us. If you have a question, then write the word question down and then write the answer clearly after it. All right. Or write the answer, write the question clearly after it, rereading it a couple of times to make sure it makes sense. Add any references that you have and then we'll go ahead and take time to look them up. Because again, we want to look up what we find in the Word of God. So we have a question from Daniel. Daniel says, and good to see you, Daniel, by the way. Uh, Daniel says, 
the hell eternal for both demons and humans or only oh is hell eternal only for demons and humans or neither wondering if angels and humans are eternal when created or if salvation is what gives eternal existence to humans yeah um the concept of hell has been something that has been talked about written about debated for literally 2,000 years. People have brought it up since the time that Jesus started talking about it. In the Old Testament, we really see the grave and we find only a few references to what hell would be. In the New Testament, Jesus talks a lot about hell and we know that Sheol is the grave. We know that in the New Testament that hell is Gehenna. That's a valley where they used to sacrifice their children on altars and we know that Gehenna and the grave, Sheol, are going to be thrown into the lake of fire in Revelation. So when people say, are people in hell today? Well, no. One day they will be thrown into the place that is called hell. I, I've pointed out before, Daniel, that the Bible uses the word destruction a lot talking about hell, uses the word perish a lot about hell. The Bible says that some are going to be beaten with many stripes and some are going to be beaten with few. And I think that when we're talking to people who are non-believers about hell, we ought to be telling them all of these things. Uh, it doesn't mean that people are going to be annihilated. The terminology seems like that's not the case. But remember, Daniel, this is an in-house discussion. We're talking among Christians. There are certain things that we think, boy, if somebody doesn't believe in uh, that people are going to be tormented forever in hell, then they're not really a Christian. You got to be a Christian to really believe that. Th that that's not true. You've got to believe that Jesus died and rose again as the scriptures foretold. You've got to receive him and be born again and you'll make it into heaven. The question is, do we want to give people a false hope? We want to know what the truth is. And I've shared before that there's got to be analogies about hell because perish. God so loves the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would not believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Few there are that make their way to life, but many that make their way to destruction. Then it says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. Jesus said where the worm never dies and the fire never goes out, and then different levels of punishment in hell. And so all of those make us not a hundred percent sure what's going on here. Now your question, are, um, are humans made eternal? Angels are, but are humans made eternal? And, I, I, and I've asked uh, a few years ago, I was looking at the opportunity to be able to ask pastors, friends of mine, if they could come up with an idea as to whether or not the Bible ever taught that the, the human soul is eternal. And um, one friend said, well, we're made in the image of God. And that's true, and God is eternal, but is that the way we're made in his image? Probably the verse that I found that speaks to that the most, Daniel, is the one that says, God has set eternity in our hearts. Again, this isn't 100% clear, because did God just give us the idea that there is an eternity that's available? Or are we eternal? And I don't know that we can get a clear-cut answer to all of that, but I do know that whatever the torment is, there is a resurrection of their bodies. There is a second death, right? Which the, there's a, sorry, 
but there is a second death and um, in that second death, the books are opened and then people judge the kind of things that are happening after that second death and then they're thrown to the lake of fire that is made for Satan and his angels, made for them to be in torment, not to be in charge. So let me just take a look and see here. It says, um, is hell for both demons and humans or only demons? Uh, for both or neither, for both. Whether if angels or humans or, or eternal, when created or if salvation is what gives um, eternal existence to humans. All right, so I think I answered those questions. I really do appreciate you, Daniel. Uh, and if you're joining us and you're new, uh, then write the word question down, then write out your question after it. Um, I'm not saying that we're gonna be able to answer every question. For one thing, it might've been a long time since we actually set up and studied something. And for another thing, um, you know, there are just things that we just don't know. The secret things belong to God, but the revealed things belong to us. There's a lot of things that we don't know that we will find out later on. So thank you for your question, Daniel. I really do appreciate it. We have our second question here from Matt Grossman. Matt says, question, should we be in, in, in favor, fight for biblical values, commandments? to be legislated into laws? If so, where should we draw the line? Would God want people to have legal free will or to sin, gay marriage practice, other religions? All right, Matt, well, let's just get right to a tough one. Um, all right, so let's talk about a couple of different theologies. When it comes to eschatology, there are, um, Postmillennialists. Postmillennialists are most often charismatic. They believe that they are taking the world to Jesus and Christianizing it. This is what Hillsong believes. And you can see it reflected in some of their songs. They really believe that they were going to take the world by storm, bring it to Christ, and they were going to be the ones that were going to be used by God. Um, Jimmy Swagger thought the same thing that he was going to usher in the end. I'm not saying that he believed in post-millennialism. He just thought he was going to usher in the end. And so, um, with your question, uh, should we be involved in biblical van um, values and commandments? I think we should vote for people that stand for those certain things when it comes to life. Pro-life, for example, every baby in the womb is in the image of God. And we ought to vote for that. And we ought to see if we can get that legislated. Um, when it comes to something like, you, you bring up um, gay marriage here. Uh, I, marriage obviously is between a man and a woman. And two men being married, I wouldn't believe would be a marriage. God said for this reason, a man and a woman shall leave their father and mother and the two shall um, come together and be one flesh. That's the marriage in God's eyes, in God's sight. That doesn't mean that two men are not married or two women are not married legally. They have the legal rights in our community. Uh, you have a vote. And if you don't want to see that growing, then you can vote for those who aren't going to try to pass such things. And I think we should do that. But I also think that when we meet a couple who is gay or we meet someone who is gay, that we really ought to go out of our way to show them we love them and that God loves them because I've seen people who are gay come out of the gay lifestyle. 
because God can transform people and God can change people. We believe it's sinful. They believe it's something they're born into. We can understand that. We can have some tact. I, I cringe when I hear people talking to someone uh, that has some issue like this and there's just absolutely no tact. They'll say something like, you're an abomination to God and you're going to hell. It's like, way to win them over to Christ. Way to show them the love of Jesus. The act is called an abomination. The person is a person whom God loves. God so loves the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now that doesn't mean that when someone gives themselves over completely to sin and they've gone past the place of being saved, that God doesn't hate every sinner because the Bible says that. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't love that individual. God, God his wrath will be upon them. The hope will be gone, but he loves them and we ought to be trying our best. It's one of the reasons that I've always been against boycotting. When people were boycotting Disney, again, they're very pro-gay. When, when people were boycotting Disney, I was like, why are we doing this? We should be going to Disney and, sh and spreading the gospel. We should be looking for opportunities to let people know how much we truly love them instead of trying to hurt them financially. So the people in Disney who were pro-gay saw Christians trying to hurt them financially. And how do you think that makes them feel about the gospel? Christians, we're the ones that carry the gospel. We ought to carry the truth to them and not try to hurt them. Where in the Bible does it say, try to hurt those who are sinful? Where can you get that heart and attitude from Jesus? In my opinion, this is a part of evangelicalism that needs to be put away. We don't wanna hurt anybody. We wanna bless people, bless those who curse you. We want them to be blessed. It's the goodness of God that brings about repentance. Doesn't mean we don't tell them the truth. It doesn't mean they're not gonna get upset with us but we go out of our way to show them the reason we're sharing with them is because we care for them. We have a true passion for the souls, a true passion for those who are lost. So I really appreciate your questions. Um, we are not of those, I'm not, and I know you're not, Matt, um, that believe in post-millennialism. This world's getting worse and worse. Both the end of the book of Daniel and the end of the book of Revelation says, let the filthy be more filthy still. Let the righteous be more righteous still. It says that the filthier, uh, it, it, it has the same polarization in the book of Daniel. The world's gonna get better and the world's gonna get worse. And, and Jesus is gonna come back. He's gonna receive his church and then bring the worst time this world has ever seen. Jesus said that in Matthew 24, worse than anything the world has ever seen or is ever going to see. And Jesus will return at the end of that, establish his kingdom, and um, we are not to be about trying to change the world. But as far as our vote, have a vote and I use it. I, I want to get people into office because I want our world to not have a bunch of, of, of things in it that are wrong. And we believe that the Bible is true. Let's just make sure that we don't become such political animals that we can't reach out to someone who isn't saved. I have friends that are Jewish who don't know Christ, and I'm trying to win them to the Lord. I have friends who are, who are as liberal as can possibly be, and I am more conservative, and I'm trying to win them to the Lord. I wanna stay away from it. When they start saying things like Fox News, so, you know, I just, I'm quiet. 
because I've had opportunities to share Christ with them. And I, I don't want to bring in a barrier. I just want to be able to share Christ. And so I'm trying to be smart, to be wise, to open up doors, to pray that the Holy Spirit would influence them because I believe he's gushing out of me and influencing the people that are around us. So I think my answer to you is going to be yes, Matt. I think we should be that, uh, should we favor fight for biblical values through our vote? Yes. Um, commandments and legislations into law. Yeah, let people know. Let, let your, your congressman, your senator know where you stand and what your, your position is. I think that's a good thing to do. Should we draw a line um, when God, we want, um, would God want to have legal free will of sin? Well, yeah, God gave people a choice. That's what God did. God gave people a choice. They could choose whether there's a law or not. There's a law that golf links here in Tucson, which is a pretty wide open uh, street. There's not a lot of turns onto it in certain places. Uh, there's on-ramps and off-ramps and it's 45 miles an hour. People do not go 45 miles just because there's a law. They don't keep it. And just because there's a law, people don't keep that. All right. So yes, we're not trying to to make the world Christian. We're not trying to make the world um, follow our religion. We're trying to bring Christ to them so that they can get saved. We're not trying to make them um, live and get, try to get saved um, or, or try to be Christian before they get saved, to live like Christians before they get saved. I think that's a futile error. Sorry, wanted to get uh, something to drink here. All right. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Good to see you again. Good to have you here with us. Uh, so we have a question from Psych Man. Psych Man, I hope I answered your question sufficiently out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, Chuck Smith did teach Luke 3.16 as purifying fire. So did Skip Heitzig teach Mark 9.49 and Zechariah 3.18 teachings on this. Uh, Daniel's buddies were a type of this. I recall the teaching. This was a type or something. All right, let me, um, this is a continuation of our conversation that we were having last week. John the Baptist says, Jesus is going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then in Matthew, and I'm just tempted to see if I can take time to find that. Let me see if I can find that passage. Um, let me just take a look here, uh, where it says he was not worthy to untie our shoes. Um, I wish I had more, um, yeah, I wish I had more time to find it here. Okay. Let me, I think I found it. All right. Let me bring this up on, let me bring this up on the screen here. And let's take a look at this passage. So this is the passage that's in question, I think. I haven't read all the way through it, so let me just see. So let's read a little bit of this. If I'll bail out of it quick, psych man, if not. But when he saw many of his Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. So this describes Pharisees. John the Baptist is like, you guys aren't really repenting, so don't come. And do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our fathers. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children from the stones, uh, from these stones. 
and even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore the tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The tree that doesn't bear good fruit is thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now look, the tree that is cut down is thrown into the fire. Now look at what he says following this. His winnowing fan is in his hands. He will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and he will gather the wheats into the barn and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I'm not saying that there wasn't burning tongues on people's head or that people aren't on fire for Jesus. I'm simply saying this passage doesn't, is in context, it's not saying that. He's saying he's going to fill some with the Holy Spirit and the others are going to be gathered together and they're going to be burned up. Now, I've listened all the way through the Bible with Pastor Chuck Smith. In fact, I've listened several times. I started doing this when I was a teenager and that was a long time ago. And I've listened to his teachings over the years. And there are times when I've heard him talk about the fire of the Spirit of God. And this is a very Pentecostal, charismatic teaching. And remember, Calvary Chapel is charismatic. I would call us a light charismatic or a soft charismatic, but we are charismatic. And this teaching is a very Pentecostal and charismatic one that you need to be on fire for Jesus. He's going to set you on fire. He's going to give you a passion. He's going to light your heart on fire. I don't have a problem with any of that. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, in fact, psych man, you may be able to go back and find passages where uh, that is exactly what I'm saying, where I, where I talk about that. What you're not going to find is me and Matthew telling you that Jesus is referring to this as some, uh, something else than judging the sinful because that's the context. I don't want to kind of, I don't want to argue with you. I don't want to try to point out that you're wrong. I just want to know what the truth is. Um, I think you're great. I, <laughs> I have no, nothing against you. Um, and I hope that's true with you coming back with this again and again and again. But even if Chuck Smith, Skip Heitzig, uh, who I, who I, uh, respect greatly both of these men, Chuck Smith who has passed away and Skip Heitzig who I just spent some time with last week. I'll be going to teach at his church uh, here not that long. Uh, we would be able to have a conversation, but if there's anything that I could tell you, I'm almost positive that when, if we were to sit down with Pastor Skip and look at that in context, that Skip would say this particular passage is speaking about judgment. And I, I don't know of any way to get around that. You know, again, you know, his, um, his winnowing hand is in his, um, let's just read this really quick again. Just maybe we can put an end to this here. Um, and even now the ax is laid to the root of the tree. Therefore, every good tree, which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water under repentance, but he was coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand. He will thoroughly clean out the threshing floor and gather his wheat into barns, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. I kind of want, would like to end this by saying, psych man, I love you. I think you're great. I, I have nothing at all against you continuing to bring this up. I just think that maybe it's one of those things where we're going to have to disagree. You can believe whatever you want to believe. I don't try to persuade people. I don't want to persuade you. I have, no, I have no desire 
to persuade someone to believe what I believe. I'm just trying to look at what the truth is. And this is what I believe about this passage. It's not talking about fire inside of us for God or a deeper passion for God. And it doesn't matter to me if Billy Graham or Chuck Smith or, or if every other teacher were taught it differently than what I did. If I were the outlier, I would want to make sure I went back and looked at it again and again. But I just can't see the context meaning anything different than what the context says. He's going to gather together the chaff and burn them. And he says that right after he says that Jesus is going to baptize with fire. I think this is just a misunderstanding in the Pentecostal and charismatic world because they use the term baptism. When the Bible doesn't use it for being, born, for being baptized in the Spirit, there's one reference where it seems to say um, they had only been baptized in the name of Jesus. So this was this is the filling of the Spirit. So that there might have been, that it could be a baptism, but um, I don't know. I just feel like we're at this point beating a dead horse, psych man. So um, let's just kind of ah, leave it there, or you can bring it back up again. <laughs> That's okay. You want to bring it back up again, or or try to bring in some other evidence. Hey, I'm open. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, I want to hear it. But I'm looking at the text, and I don't think I am. All right. And, and if I was, I would say it. I, I promise you, if I'm believing something that's wrong, and I've done that before, and I look at a text and I go, I don't think what I'm teaching about this is right. I've taught something one week, came back the next week and corrected it because I looked up some other things and said, I didn't take this into account. So perhaps that just needs to be taken, uh, that passage in Matthew needs to be taken into account. All right, Psych Man, I appreciate it. Um, we have another question here from Alberto. Alberto says, question, Pastor, I'm a single man who loves Jesus and is doing the best to follow God's will. I wanna find a woman who loves and follows Jesus as well. Does the Bible say anything about dating? Yes, it does. Um, so the Bible tells us that we are not to be unequally yoked. And this means that you as a Christian don't want to be dating a non-Christian. There, there's all kinds of problems. The reason that you date, for the most part, is to find someone to be able to marry, right? And so if you are dating someone and they don't have the same values you have, then I think that's a problem. I think it's really important to make sure that we marry in the Lord. Um, I want to see if I can find you a passage here um, to the unmarried widows. I'm, I'm looking at in, in 1 Corinthians 7 for the passage that talks about um, those who don't believe. Let me just see if I can take a moment to find this. If not, I'll tell you what it says and you can find it and look it up later. Um, live as you are called. Um, let me just take another look here. I'm just going to look a little bit further. Um, all right, here we go. I think I found it. I'm glad I took an, an extra second here because I think that this is really going to help Alberto. All right. Um, and I found myself in the position of dating uh, seven, eight years ago after my wife passed away almost 10 years ago now. And um, I wanted to make sure that I dated a Christian. Uh, I wanted to make sure I dated someone that didn't attend our church because I knew that if 
if we stopped dating, we broke up, then, you know, the half the church was going to leave because they might have thought I treated her wrong by breaking up with her. So I just didn't want to do anything like that. And um, the Lord brought a woman into my life who loves Jesus, is sold out, who sees things the way that I see them. We have complete unity in Christ, and that's a phenomenal thing. I do not want it. I do not want to not have that. So let's read this passage here. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. But to the rest, I not the Lord say, if any brother has a wife who does not believe, and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, and he if willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For an unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. But if the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such a case, but God has called you to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband, O husband, if you, um, or if uh, you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called each one, so let everyone walk. Uh, and so I ordain in all the churches was anyone called while circumcised, let him become circumcised. So that's not the passage I wanted. It's close to it. Um, there is a passage, Alberto, and I'm, I'm going to have to take some time to find it. Sorry that I, I couldn't find it. Where it says that if you're going to marry, marry in the Lord. Only in the Lord, it says. If you're going to marry, only in the Lord. So, yeah, there is something in the Bible that does tell us to marry in the Lord. Um, you certainly don't want to fall in love with a woman that doesn't feel the way you feel. And I'll even go one further about being unequally yoked. Unequally yoked were two animals that were pulling a plow or pulling a cart and they were unequally yoked as they tried to pull and they, they would pull in a circle. You gotta find someone who loves Jesus as much as you do, who's a sold out to Christ as much as you do. So you guys are equally yoked as you move together through life. Life is difficult. There's a lot of hardships. There's a lot of troubles. There's a lot of struggles in life. And you want to be as equally yoked as you can possibly be. And I do believe the Bible tells us that. I just don't know where that verse is. You may take time uh, to, to look for it and find it. Um, if you marry, only marry in the Lord. Um, look that up on Google. And if you find it, if someone finds it, then um, go ahead and... Uh, if someone finds it, then go ahead and um, put it in the, in the comments. We'd love to go ahead and hear that. All right. So uh, we have a question here from Jari. Jari says, question, is it unbiblical to baptize, be baptized more than once? Also, was Jesus born 0 AD or 1 AD or 1 BC or 6 BC? Thank you. All right, a couple of questions in there, Jari, thank you. Um, no, it's not unbiblical to be baptized more than once. Well, I mean unbiblical. Let me think about biblical. Um, yeah, I don't know that I, I can think of anyone in the Bible that's been baptized more than once in the Bible. So unbiblical, yes. But what do you mean by, what, is, what do I mean by unbiblical? I, I don't mean it's wrong. I just mean we don't find it in the Bible. And when you can't find something in the Bible, you may want to really question it. But if you have walked away and you want to, to and you recommitted your life to Christ and, and you come back to him and you decide, I want to be baptized as a sign of me coming back to Christ, 
I find no problem with that as a deepening of your commitment to Christ, as living stronger to Him. I, I don't find anything wrong with that. Jesus, um, all I can tell you is what the scholars say. And here I defer to the scholars, both Christians and non-Christians. And they will say that Jesus is born somewhere between 4 and 5 BC. Excuse me, 4 or 5 AD. AD. And that Paul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, was born sometime around 5 and 6. So they were very much the same age, maybe just a couple of years. They could have been literally the same age, but maybe just a couple of years different. So um, that is about when when he was born. Um, I don't know why they think that. I haven't taken time to really break it down and look into exactly why they come back to that. I just like that scholars have a consensus of when they think Jesus was born because it means that no longer do they have that mythology about Christ, right? Okay, so thank you very much. I appreciate it, Jari. I mean mythology meaning that Jesus was indeed a myth. All right. Okay, so uh, we have a uh, question from Jari. Follow-up, can um, all-knowing God forget all right, let's see. So yeah, Jari has a follow-up on our question about uh, forgiveness. And Jari says, uh, follow-up, how can an all-knowing God forget? How does that work? So the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more, that he separates them as far as the east is from the west, that he plants them behind our back, his back. Um, well, he's an all-knowing, all-powerful God. And he's chosen to forget your sin. Now, is God talking in an allegory here? Is God saying, I have forgotten your sin. I will remember it no more. I will not hold it against you. I'm not bringing it up. I've forgotten it. And that God, because he's omniscient, knows sin. There are those who believe that. You also wonder, well, can God truly choose to forget and forget my sin? I would like to think that's the case instead of an allegory. But I don't know. I don't know which one is which. Um, but God is not holding my sin against me and remembers it no more. He doesn't bring it up to me. Even if he does remember it, he doesn't bring it up to me. And that's such an important case. All right. Thank you, Jari. I really appreciate it. All right. We have a question from Annika. Annika, good to see you. Annika says, question on the idea of God forgetting. How would you equate that to his omniscience? All right, so this is a little bit of different of a nuance on the question. Um, omniscience. Uh, so, all-knowing. Um, yeah, I again, God could be speaking in an allegory and, and just saying, hey, I don't remember your sin anymore. I'm never going to bring it up. Maybe, maybe he could reach out and grab it. Or maybe he really has put it away from him and doesn't remember it. You know, the, the old saying, can God make a rock so big he can't move it? Well, if he can make a rock so big he can't move it, then he can't do everything because he can't move it. If he can't make a rock so big he can't move it, he can't do everything because he can't make a rock so big he can't move it. So when it comes to God, you could get yourself into these dilemmas. And I think this is one of those dilemmas. If God has forgotten my sin, then God can't do anything because he can't remember my sin. But then again, the only restriction God has is the restrictions he's placed upon himself. 
when it comes to the forgiveness of my sin. All I know, Annika, is I rejoice in it. Whether he forgets it forever or whether he has chosen to forget it and he knew it and forgot it. Uh, and I'm trying to think if there's other examples where God has known something and chose to forgot it. It could simply mean that he's not going to hold us against it, us and he's not going to act like we ever sinned. That's what it could simply mean. Um, I would not I would not think that that would be a violation of the word of God if that's what it said. All right. So um, it's a it's a says um, question. Do you think that all of the destructive events occurring in Shemitah years would be judgments or seals from God for unchecked evil of 2021? Twin Towers, Fall 2008, Stock Market. Um, so, uh, it's a, I don't follow the Shemitah years a bunch, alright? I'm sorry about that. I just haven't been amazed by it. I've read some on it and just kind of look at it and go, you know, the the, the red moons and the Shemitahs and, and all, all of those things. Um, maybe there's something to them and maybe I could be changed if someone presented the information in a certain way to me that I was really able to comprehend it and um, maybe I should not bury my head in the sand so much when it comes to it. But I, um, I, I'm looking for, I'm looking for God's word to give me the direction for what God wants for me. I'm not looking for patterns in history because just because something was a pattern before doesn't make it going to be a pattern in the future. I want scriptures that back it up. And when I start reading something that starts using certain things and doesn't really um, rely on the word of God to be able to do it, then I find problems with that. And I find myself, myself, and myself as well, by the way, but I find myself not really that interested in it. I'd rather find the word of God and pour into the word of God and find the promises that are in there because there's so many amazing ones about Israel returning to the nation and living for him. Uh, other other things that are just, just so incredible and powerful uh, that I think that we don't have to live by those things that aren't. And um, I mean, maybe I'm mistaken. Maybe there's a bunch of scriptures that talk about the Shemitah. I don't know. Um, I know a lot of the judgments that they said were going to come to pass didn't come to pass and a lot of other things have come to pass. I know that there were, during this pestilence, of the Euphrates rivers drying up, there were swarms. Uh, there were other things the Bible connects to judgment. But those are connected to judgment and the word of God. And um, I could be, I could be wrong. I know there's a passage that people connect to the two towers. Looks to me like they're stretching a little bit. You know, I'm not judging them. I'm simply saying, I don't know. I find myself really wondering about that. So I think that we're close. I think God is judging the world. I think this world needs to be judged. I think, hey, I think we've been, we need judgment, right? Not just the world needs judgment, we need judgment. God's wrath was upon us and he was going to judge us. 
but we have been saved by Jesus Christ and the and, and he took the wrath of the uh, on the lamb of God so that the wrath was not put upon us. So I'm just going to take a little bit of a pass on it with saying a little bit I've looked into it some and did not find it in, uh, incredibly compelling. Uh, again, doesn't mean I couldn't be persuaded. Doesn't mean somebody couldn't show me a few more things. I'd be open to that. But when I looked into it, I didn't find it incredibly compelling. All right. Thank you very much. It's a, I appreciate that. Um, so if you are joining us, glad to have you here. Hope that you are blessed by the time that we spend here. We look at questions through the lens of scripture. Um, we take as many questions as we can get in, in about an hour. And um, if you have extra questions, go ahead and leave them and we will take time. And you can also ask follow-ups. So if you have a question and I didn't quite answer it to what you really thought um, was sufficient, um, maybe I didn't get the, uh, the, your question completely right. Sometimes I've really got to look at those questions to try to determine um, what they are. And so, um, but leave, leave your question, reread it a couple of times, make sure it makes sense, and then go ahead and submit it. So we have another question here from Express, Kimberly. Kimberly says, question, exactly what does forgiveness mean? Not to hold against them, to love them always. What exactly does it mean when God forgives us? So if we, sometimes going back to the word itself can help, sometimes it doesn't help. Sometimes the etymology of a word isn't what the word is really about. So you can find, you can find help sometimes by searching for forgiveness, but I would rather look at what the Bible has to say about forgiveness. So the Bible says that God has separated our sin as far as the East is from the West. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive us which means to not hold a debt. If I forgive you, if you owe me 50 bucks, Kimberly, and I say to you, it's forgiven. I've forgiven your debt. That means you don't have to pay me. You no longer, you no longer have to pay it. Every sin I've committed, every time I broke the law, in one point of sin, in one point of breaking the law, I was found guilty and God forgave it. He paid the price so that I, I would not have to pay that debt. He puts the sin behind his back. As we, we've been talking about, he remembers it no more, which can seem to create some difficulties, right? But how can God forget? But nevertheless, it's such tremendous, wonderful promises and helps us that we should be able to forgive other people as well. So I think, I think all of those passages help us to understand exactly what it means. I say when you're, when you're holding on forgiveness towards someone, let them go. Just let them go. Just say, you don't owe me anything. Don't tell them sometimes you, they don't care. But for you to say, you don't, they don't owe me anything. I have forgiven that debt. That's forgiveness. You let it go. And it's so powerful on our part when we do that. And it takes away bitterness inside of us when we hold unforgiveness towards other people. All right, so I, I hope that answers the question. Please feel free, Kimberly, to ask a follow-up if I didn't get the specifics of your question right. It seems like I miss that a lot, all right? So again, good to see you guys. 
Um, I love the fellowship that takes place here, the community that is being built uh, in these Q&As. Truly am excited about it. If you have a question, then go ahead and write the word question down and uh, then write out your question, reread it, you put in the reference and we can look it up, take a look at it together. In fact, I like to do that because I think it helps us to understand it. It's not just me trying to remember and then give it to you, but we can actually look at the text and go from there, all right? So um, this is Heath Bar. Uh, Heath Bars are good. Uh, Heath, Heath um, Bar says, what is Ezekiel 31 about? What's its backdrop? And does it have future events? Okay, well, um, it's been a while since I've taught the book of Ezekiel, probably four or five years, maybe a touch longer than that, maybe actually back in the 2000s. So it's been a while. Um, let me just go there and see if I can jog my memory a little bit in 31. Um, Egypt cut, uh, cut down like a great tree. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, Heath Barr. I would love to be able to answer your question, but I don't want to just say something and not get it right because I don't remember it or because I just, I just haven't looked at it recently enough to consider exactly what's being said. Um, kind of sad when you think about it. Uh, I've been a pastor now for 40 years. I've taught through the Bible. I'm teaching through the Bible my fourth time now of actually teaching through the Bible. And um, I've taught Ezekiel three times and um, I can't remember what Ezekiel 31 is about. But then again, there's a lot of information. So without having more information here, maybe you could um, join us on Wednesday and write out a specific question and the passage in Ezekiel 31 and maybe then I could get to it. Um, but it's just as far as the backdrop, I'll try to remember. I'm just not very good at remembering all the things. I got so much that's going on. I'm going from here to another teaching. And then when I get done, I teach tomorrow when I'm done with that. I already start off on putting the study together for Wednesday. And so it's really hard for me to remember. Um, I, need, I need some kind of a note system so I can take some time to look these things up and answer what is the backdrop of Ezekiel 31. Um, sorry, I couldn't help. I, I hate when that happens, but unfortunately it does. So Bradley has a question. Bradley joins us from YouTube. Bradley says, how do you deal with scripture with mid-Acts hyper-dispensationalism that believe the church started with Paul and only teach Paulinian uh, epistles? Um, all right, so I've heard of people that deny Paul's gospels, but I haven't heard of people that only believe in Paul's gospels. So these are hyper-dispensationalists. So we are dispensationalists, but I'm gonna come back to my word again. We're dispensationalist light or we're a soft dispensationalist. Um, we believe that God operates in ages, that God was using Israel, that God would use the law, then he went into an age of grace, then he's gonna go into an age of, of, of trying the earth in a tribulation period and then the age of the millennium. What I don't agree with dispensationalism on is that the gifts have passed away. I think the gifts are still for today. I, I, I don't think, and, and that's maybe what you mean by mid-Acts hyper-dispensationalists, um, meaning that they only pick it up in the middle of Acts and they don't believe in the beginning. So Bradley, I'm unfamiliar with that. 
Uh, it's very interesting to me. Like I said, I, I know people today who deny Paul's works. They literally, they're legalists. And Paul does such a good job of fighting against the legalist that they just say, Paul wasn't really from God and he didn't really believe it. He wasn't really led by God. And so they reject them. Uh, to hear that there are only those who believe uh, in Paul's teaching. So I'll read it again, make sure I understood it right, because maybe I didn't. How do you deal spiritually with mid-Acts hyper-dispensationalists that believe the church started with Paul and only teach the Paulinian epistles? Wow, Bradley, um, uh, um, or Brady, sorry, Brady. Um, you gave me a new one. Something else for me to look up. Something else for me to be able to really uh, uh, teach on, especially when we get to the book of Acts. I really like to prepare people for the false teachings that are out there. So I'm sorry, again, two in a row. I'm not going to be able to help because I'm, I'm completely unfamiliar with it. Um, I'd, I'd love to get a little bit more of the groups that teach it. I don't know if there's anything wrong with putting down uh, the group that teach such a thing so we can take time to look it up and to see. I know um, the um, Hebrew Israelites, most, they're different groups, all different with them, most reject Paul's writings and believe only in the writings of Jesus. So that's, um, that, that's kind of the other way, but I haven't heard of the other one. Um, so I'm just kind of reading through here. Make sure you write the word question in front of it, if you would, please, so that I can see it um, and identify it quickly. Um, if you have a question, then write the word question down and then write your question out a couple of times. Make sure it makes sense. It's uh, really good to see you guys all here. We have another question from Annika. I'm going to go ahead and take it. Uh, we've got about seven minutes. If we run out of questions, we'll wrap it up. Um, how do you share the gospel? Does your testimony ever play a part in your witnessing? And if so, how much? Um, thanks, Annika. I appreciate that question. I think it's a great one. Um, yes, uh, how I share the gospel. So I don't believe in methods. I there, there are those that will look at something Jesus did and they'll call it, you know, Ray Comfort. And I love Ray Comfort. And I love what he does. Um, he's Calvary Chapel. Uh, he calls his group the way of the master. And I think it's helpful. It's been helpful to me when I'm witnessing to ask people, have you ever told a lie? Um, have you ever lust out for a woman in your heart? You've used God's name in vain to show them that they need to repent. However, I've led people to Christ a lot of different ways and, and praise God for that. I, I, I want us to be led by the Spirit. And so I like to, Annika, I like to really get to know people. I like to ask them questions. I like to listen, remember, um, understand what they're believing, be able to repeat it back to them. And I'll, I'll ask people questions, like we'll get talking and they'll find out that I'm a Christian. They'll find out I'm a pastor. And um, they may ask me a couple questions. Where's your church at? How big is it? Those are the kind of things they may ask. And I'll ask them, um, what, what denomination are you? Do you go to church? Well, no, I don't go to church. I, um, I, I don't know if I really believe in God. And then I'll ask, well, what do you believe about the afterlife? What do you think happens when you die? And sometimes people will blow it off. Sometimes they'll be like, I don't know, man. I just don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But most of the time people have an opinion. And then I kind of like to try to bounce off of that. 
you know, if they say, well, I think we're all going to be judged on the good things we've done. And I'll say, what about the bad things we've done? If you're judged, the judge doesn't just judge the good things. The judge judges the bad things. And so I try to open up doors. Um, and, and sometimes the doors don't open up completely. So I was talking to someone who was a non-believer about hell the other day. And I began to talk to them about it. And I talked to them. I got a little bit into the way that you can be, whatever hell is, into the way that you can avoid it. Because Jesus gave the church the keys to the kingdom. And he was just kind of like, okay, and just wanted to move on. Um, but those are the ways that I do it. I like to ask questions. I like to really get to know people. I want to be friends with them. I want to love them. I don't just want to pretend I'm their friends. I want to be friends with them. And being friends with someone means I really take interest in them. I really listen to what they're saying. And I really want to share Christ with them. And I look for opportunities. And yes, my testimony plays a huge part in it. Um, again, I was talking with another gentleman who said to me, um, uh, you're a pastor, but if I remember right, you went to automotive school. And I said, yeah, when I got out of high school, I, I went through, um, I became an auto technician and I did upholstery for several years. I started my first business. In fact, I wish I could dig my card out. I'll show it to you later. My mother-in-law gave me my card from 1977. It's the actual first card I ever had made up uh, for a business I started when I was 17 years old called Southwest Custom Trim. And we did auto upholstery, furniture upholstery. Those were where I started out. From there, I went to auto technician school. But at the same time, I'm loving God, reading the Bible, teaching Sunday school, teaching youth, teaching adults eventually, and then being called out to come and start a church. Um, so he was fascinated with that, with that testimony. And I was able to talk to him about my old testimony. Somebody asked me, are you going to heaven? And I responded and told him, I said, yes. And he said, why? I said, because I believe God exists. And he said, well, does the devil believe in God? I said, no. He said, then it takes more than believing God exists. And this is what I said to him. It means you have to believe Jesus rose from the dead. You have to believe that your sins can be forgiven by Jesus on the cross. And these things were foretold in the Old Testament. And I was able just to kind of give him the gospel. Now, he didn't get saved, but those were seeds planted. And those were seeds watered. And I want to take every opportunity I can to be able to share with people that don't know Christ and to share with them effectively. And I hope that's helpful, Annika. I am um, planning on doing a whole teaching on sharing your faith. And um, we're going to get there when we're able to do that here, making our way through the Bible. All right, good to see you, Annika. I really do appreciate you. All right. Uh, and let's just go ahead and see if we've got another question. It's 4.59. I probably shouldn't. But let me go ahead and, and do this follow-up. All right, I've got a teaching in exactly an hour from right now. And um, we're going to be looking at seven surprising things about the palm, about Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. Um, we, we know about the donkey, the palm trees, the, the robes laid down, the scribes and Pharisees getting upset. But I want to talk about some other surprising things and there's so much that's in it. And um, I'm going to have to be leaving this and heading right over there. So let me take this follow up and that'll be it. Doesn't mean you can't go ahead and give questions. They're going to send me this log. I'll use them for future Q&As. All right. So let me do this and then we'll close out. Uh, follow up. 
Mid-Acts dispensationalist teachers um, teach that baptism was for the Jews. They only preached the Paulinian epistle that was apostle to the Gentiles uncircumcised. They were founded by C.R. Stam. Okay, um, let me just make a quick note of this here real quick, all right? I'm, I, I'm really interested in looking this up. Look up Mid-Acts Dispensationalism by C.R. Stam. All right. All right. There you go. I just left a note for myself to be able to look it up. Um, again, you've added a little bit more information that even makes it more intriguing to me. Um, Mid-Acts today teach that the baptism was only for the Jews. That's really interesting because Paul tells the Corinthians, I didn't baptize any of you except this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and then that family. Um, but because Christ didn't call me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. But Paul did baptize and everywhere that he went. And so I think I'd be able to refute that pretty quickly. The only preached the Pauline epistles as he was the apostle to the Gentiles and the uncircumcised. And he does say that in the book of Acts, even though Peter was the one that was there during the, the, the Pentecost there. They were founded by C.R. Stam. Awesome. Thank you very much, um, uh, Brady. I really do appreciate that. A little bit more information there for me, something I didn't know. I want to take time to look up. All right, good to see you guys. The rest of you here, love you. Stay close to Christ. Um, remember, stay humble, love Jesus. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, uh, correcting those that are in opposition. All right, Bible says, uh, if anyone is in sin, those of you who are spiritual, go to them with all gentleness, remembering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Walk close with Christ. We'll be back again, Lord willing, for another Q&A this Saturday, this Wednesday at uh, 4 o'clock, and then next Saturday at 4 o'clock, as uh, we'll discuss, we'll open up a special um, Q&A about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so you guys be thinking about questions about the resurrection. I want us to talk about those next week, okay? Special Q&A next Saturday on the resurrection of Jesus. All right, thank you guys. Love you. Stay close to Jesus. We'll see you later on.